So Mark chapter 13 and the section that we read was verses 24 through 37. And I don't have really a clever introduction today. Um, Not that that's always what I'm aiming at, is something clever. But I do want to say this. When we talk about the second coming of Jesus, this is a really important doctrine for a lot of reasons. You know, it's mentioned, it's mentioned over 300 times just in the New Testament. 300 times. Let that sink in for a minute. It's not marginal. It's not peripheral. It's not unimportant. It's very important. And every time it's mentioned, again, there's practical instruction. There are commandments. There are things to do. There are adjustments to make, sins to confess, mission to get on board with, with Christ. It's never, hey, look, purchase your tickets, put your 3D glasses on, and sit back for the ride. No, we're invited to be a part of this. We really are. I would go so far as to say this, because the second coming, every major historic Christian creed, statement of faith, catechism, confession, you will find a section devoted to the second coming. When Jesus Christ returns again, yeah, if you're, if you're new or maybe uh, just curious about Christianity, when I say the second coming, let's make sure we all use the same dictionary. When I talk about the second coming, I'm talking about when Jesus returns bodily, physically, personally, Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples were staring, looking up into the clouds. Remember an angel said, hey, men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing up into the clouds for this Man, Jesus will return in the same manner in which he departed. What's that mean? Physically, bodily, suddenly, personally. He's coming back the same way that he departed. But there's going to be a difference too, and we're going to look at that today. He's coming with great power, with great glory, in the clouds. Every eye will see him. It's going to be something to behold. But this is mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. It's in every major historic confession and creed and so I would go so far as to say this you cannot live a recognizably Christian life without thinking about this doctrine we're going to talk about and without letting it affect the way you live letting it affect and change the way you live the way you view suffering the way you view injustice the way you view this hostile world of unbelievers we find ourselves in sometimes persecution hunger poverty war We all have a worldview that we view those things through a lens. And Jesus is saying, I want you to view these through the lens of this. I'm coming back and I'm going to make everything right. Every moral account will be settled. Every wrong will be righted. Every act of injustice will be taken into account. That's what he's going to talk about. So, I think so often when we think of the second coming, and I've used this slide before, we think of things like this. Hollywood, Apocalypse, Armageddon, and those things, some of those are in the Bible, but not this way. Or we think of endless speculation and get your calendar out and get a newspaper from the Middle East and get the latest, greatest book on what prediction is right, and it ultimately can end to this. And I don't know who that preacher is, so I'm not making fun of him, but I just, I saw that and it's so perfectly encapsulated. When I grew up in the 80s, people were making You know, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Whoops, it's 2019, he's not back yet, you know. And so I think all of those things, I think Satan would use those to distract us. So uh, I just want to tell you three ways I believe this passage is going to instruct us. Three ways your life ought to be different because of this teaching. Three ways. Number one, longing. The Bible tells us we should long 
for, earnestly yearn for Christ to return. Watch for it. Point two, we should have confidence that all these things that Jesus is saying, they're true. He stakes his very existence on them. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not these words. This building would dissolve before anything that we read in here today would be falsified. So wait on it. And third, missional. Jesus is, is going to tell us, hey, be alert. Stand at your post. Don't fall asleep. All these metaphors to say stay on mission with Jesus. There's work to be done. Work toward it. So those three things we're going to look at one at a time. So the first is this. And by the way, I think, I think I've told you before, uh, this section began with Jesus' disciples asking him a question, which they did a lot. Jesus had just predicted, hey, the temple is coming down. It's corrupt. It's abusive. The thing it was supposed to point to, me, it's failed to do, and therefore it's going to be judged. I was, I was patient. I was kind. I was humble. I pointed out their errors, and they rejected me. And in fact, two days' time, they're going to crucify me. I am the temple, and they're going to kill me. So this temple's coming down in judgment. And that would have been the equivalent of somebody telling you uh, the building, the Twin Towers are coming down before 9-11. You would say, yeah, right. And he would say, no, really, they are. And you would say, oh, well, okay, when? And so the disciples asked two questions. When are these things going to happen? This apocalyptic view of the end of history. Um, there was both a near and local fulfillment. The temple really was destroyed in 70 AD, 40 years after he predicted and there's also a far fulfillment globally, and that's what we're looking at today. The temple being destroyed, Jerusalem being burned, that was a very, honestly, smaller window into the kind of end-time cataclysmic disaster that we're going to read about here in this passage. So the disciples asked Jesus two questions. They said, when is it going to happen, and how are we supposed to prepare for it? When is it going to happen? No, I'm, I'm sorry. They asked him, when is it going to happen? And what are going to be the signs? How will we know when it's time? So Jesus has been answering those questions. And this is the longest answer he ever gave, which tells you it's important. He could have said, soon, the end. But he didn't. We have an entire chapter. And Mark, Mark's very selective with the material he includes. So there's 30-something verses in this chapter, all devoted to Jesus' answer to these questions. And it's very practical and it's very pastoral. There's like 20 imperatives in here. You know what that means? Commandments. Like, uh, go here, don't do this, do this. So it's very practical. Um, so let's look at it together. Point one, longing. Longing. We are supposed to look forward to this. You know, Jesus has used all these metaphors about when you see this, it's just the beginning of birth pains. And you know what birth pains are? Contractions, right? They didn't have all the OBGYNs back then that we do today. So when a woman started having contractions, uh, everyone's interest was piqued. Okay, this is painful. This is a little bit mysterious. We don't know how much longer she's going to be in labor, but we know this. We should be expectant. And this pain and this agony and this mystery, it's going to end with joy, right? A brand new human being entering into the world and being a part of our family. And we're supposed to look forward to that. We are supposed to expect that and yearn for it. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 8, groaning. The whole earth groans together. It's groaning, moving towards something. We're aching for, for, for culmination, for completion. We're, we're aching for justice to be served, right? We all, we all could be honest and say, when we look around at the world and we see all the wrongs, this doctrine should be important to us. 
It really should. Jesus is coming back. And listen, the language that you find here, look at the first section here. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. Listen to this. You can underline this if you're an underliner kind of person. With great power and glory. Now that sets the trajectory of what the return is going to be like. Listen, guys, Jesus is not crawling back into his creation in a hole in the wall in Bethlehem. He already did that. He already took the first advent in obscurity, hidden, in weakness, in mystery. Uh uh, not this time. The king is returning. I'm going to spare you some Lord of the Ring illustrations. I, I was tempted today, okay? But, but maybe just the title, this is the return of the king, the true king. He's coming back and he's got a crown on his head. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. That's, that's beautiful at Christmas, we can celebrate that. But this is not Christmas. This is not the first advent. This is the second. And he's coming back and it's going to be a global cataclysmic event. And everyone alive is going to see it, which tells you it's global. Every eye will see him. Great power and glory coming in the clouds, with the cloud. And this, does, this is not just talking about, well, there's like cumulus clouds and there's this kind of cloud, there's tornado clouds. No, clouds in the Bible, it means Shekinah glory. It means the presence of God. Jesus is coming back at the culmination of history and he is bringing God's personal, physical presence with him for all of his people to enjoy and share. It will be, it will be a tremendous day for us. Now, we ought to long for that, and I'll tell you why. Because when you, look, when you look around, do you see it? Does it look like Christianity is winning? And say, if you want to use that type of us versus them, I don't like that. But let's use it for the sake of argument. How does it look? We're being persecuted. Christians are hiding in underground caves still, having to have secret church services in third world countries. Because they could be slaughtered and slain and killed at any minute. Unbelief is on the rise, always. People who are not sympathetic to our worldview and they're hostile against us. We should long for this. I know it's cliche and it's cheesy and it sounds Disney-esque, but this is our happy ending here, right? Christians should long for this, but we, I think we've forgotten this. This is, our king is returning with a shout of victory. He's not crawling back, sneaking into his creation in obscurity and hidden and shrouded in mystery. No, this is a completely different scenario. Completely different. And we need this reminder. The audience that Mark is writing to needed this reminder. They're in Rome. They're in trouble. The government is very hostile to them. When you read the book of Revelation, do you ever wonder why John's audience, who the audience was, they were in tremendous persecution because Nero had blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians as scapegoats. And they were being burned alive. And they were being thrown into the Colosseum and sewn up in animal skins. And they needed to know, hey, look, I know things look grim right now. They look bleak. They look dark. But I'm telling you, it won't always be this way. Your king will return with a shout of victory. And oh my, how the tables will be turned. How the tables will be turned. It's really interesting for us who believe, who have the second coming is called the blessed hope. 
For us who had the blessed hope, we should be yearning for this, longing for this, expecting this, praying for this. Come, Lord Jesus. But listen, for those who are in unbelief, this will be a terrible day of judgment. We're going to meet a, read a passage in a little bit from Revelation 6. And it actually says when he appears, they will crawl under the mountains. And it's just interesting to me. It says they'll crawl into caves and they'll start talking to the creation and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne. But there will be no escape for them. No place will be found for them. It's interesting how the tables turn because there's people that were in Rome when the book of Revelation was written and they were hiding in caves, having a church service because they were afraid. They were hiding out in the catacombs and Jesus says, that's going to be flipped. It will be the mighty kings who are hostile to the Christian faith. They'll be calling out to the mountains, hide on us. I wish we could crawl into a cave, but there won't be found one. There won't be found any place for them to flee and escape the wrath of the one whose blood and salvation offer they rejected. I know that's tough for some of us because we have loved ones that are living right now in rebellion against God and in unbelief. But listen, friends, this ought to encourage us. Remember the mission. Go reach them. There's still time. Christ's return is 24 hours closer than it was yesterday morning. And we don't know. That's the next event on, if you want to call it God's prophetic calendar, this is the next event, and it's going to happen suddenly. He tells us down in verse 30-something, which, man, if people would, if some people, some Christians, some teachers would just read what verse 32 or 33 says, no man knows the day or the hour that he will return, not the angels, not even Jesus himself in his humanity. If we would just read that, man, that would save us a lot of money buying books, trying to figure out when he's coming, wouldn't it? Nobody knows. So be ready. Be prepared. He could come at any moment. But it won't be, it won't catch us off guard if we're in Christ. We don't have to dread that. We don't have to live in fear or parano uh, paranoia or be suspicious and scratch our heads every time a world event happens. We should long for this. Jack Miller said this. He said, when Christ returns, anything good on earth will be made even better and anything bad will be removed. That's one good way to summarize it and look at it, isn't it? We need this reminder. History is headed somewhere. And the one who controls it, we're on his side. It's not that he's on our side. Don't think like that. Remember that passage Mark Mailing read earlier from Joshua 7? Joshua is going to invade Jericho. And he's going to stalk out the enemy territory the night before. And he meets a pre-incarnate image of Jesus Christ on the road holding a sword like a man. And Joshua sees him and he doesn't know who it is. And he says, hey, whose side are you on? Our side or their side? And the angel basically says, I was going to ask you the same question. Whose side are you on? That's the bigger question. God, are you on our side? Wrong question. Whose side are you on? The one who is controlling history. The future is bright for the children of the king. And listen, you want to read what every other religion says about their culmination of history? They may offer you a consolation prize. You ever been to a county fair and you spend all the cash in your pocket to throw a baseball at some bottles that have lead in the bottom of them so you can get a dirty teddy bear and take, <laughs> take it home, right? That's a consolation prize. Jesus doesn't offer us that. He offers us restoration, not consolation. Restoration. Every wrong will be made right 
justice will reign. You will finally be serving a king who will not abuse you, he will not exploit you, he will not be a tyrant. He will love you, you will be known, and you will be fully loved. This king died for you. You won't be marginalized. You'll have a family that's better than the one you have now because we'll all be perfect, right? I think it was Jen Wilkins who said the church is a true and better family. That gets you in trouble in some churches that have family idolatry. Family's a beautiful thing, but, but you know the family's a picture of the church. It really is, the body of Christ. And we're going to all live together one day when our king comes to reunite us around the banner of the cross. Do you feel like aliens? <laughs> I'm sorry, that just cracks me up the way I said it. I feel like an alien sometimes. <laughs> Do you feel like this is not really your home sometimes? How about that? I hate traveling. The, the older, I understand older people who say, I don't like, my dad does not like to travel. I like to, I can't wait to get home when I travel to see my family, to sleep in my own bed, to choose my own food. I, I, that's just me. Anybody else? Do you ever feel like that? Like, man, I'm just, I, I have a longing and a yearning. I just don't feel like I, quit, I quite fit in here. That's by design. You should feel that. You should have some sense of being unsettled, this already not yet, that, man, I want, I want to be home. I feel like this is Babylon, you know? I feel like I'm a reject. I'm an outsider, even though I know Jesus has brought me into his family. You look around and you see injustice everywhere. That's why this doctrine is so important. I was a runner in high school, and man, there is nothing quite like crossing that finish line. You know, my wife said this to me this morning. We were talking back and forth. I was sharing. She's like, no, don't say that. Say that. No, she didn't say <laughs> She said, you know, this is almost like the, the believers, it is finished. Now, that, I, I say that as, uh, that would be heresy if we were saying we did it. We died on the cross. I'm not saying that. I, I, I'm saying it's, it's, it's our echo of what Jesus said. Finally, it's finished. History is over. And we're on, Jesus uh, died for us, so we're on the winning side. Victory belongs to us. Man, I need that. I need to live in light of that doctrine and let it change me. Maybe you do too. James Edward wrote a great commentary on this book of Mark, and he said this, The longing that things ought not to be as they are and cannot be allowed to remain as they are is essentially a second coming kind of longing. Let me read that again. The longing that we should have that things ought not to be as they are and cannot be allowed to remain as they are, this doctrine comes into play. The grand finale of the gospel preached by Jesus is that there is a sure hope for the future. We have a lot to look forward to. In fact, you know, this teaching we find in Mark 13, Luke recorded it too, and so did Matthew, which tells you it's mega important. You know, three different recorders in Scripture gave their own version of this story, and this is what uh, this is what Mark said, or excuse me, this is what Luke said. Can you guys see that? He's recording Jesus saying, that Jesus said, now when these things begin to take place, heavens being shaken, cosmic, cataclysmic, global unsettlement, earthquakes, signs in the heavens, he says, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I love that. You don't have to go crawl under a mountain and crawl into a cave like unbelievers. When this happens, 
straighten up, lift your head up. Don't you love that? Jesus doesn't say cower in fear. Be afraid. Be afraid because daddy's coming home. Did you ever hear that growing up? Wait till your dad comes home. <laughs> I heard it a lot and I needed to. And I was scared when my dad did come home. Anyway, it's another sermon for another day. <laughs> your redemption is drawing near. What does this mean for us? Liberation. In fact, that word there in Luke, your redemption, it means set free. What a beautiful picture. <laughs> Anybody in here want to be set free? Say amen right now. <laughs> I want to be set free, man, from the bondage, from a fallen planet, from a fallen world, with fallen leaders, a fallen body, fallen relationships. Everything's broken. The second law of thermodynamics we call entropy says things tend, as time progresses, toward greater and greater chaos and disorder. And man, do we see that. Paul says evil men will, will grow worse and worse before the second coming. Things are going to get worse. You say, man, thanks for that real pick-me-up this morning, Pastor. No, but don't you see? This is the pick-me-up. I'm not here to whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Things are going to get better. It's going to be great. Before Jesus comes, no, it's going to be terrible. And persecution's coming to the American church. Mark my words, it's coming. But we have this blessed hope. Mark's audience needed it. John's audience, the book of Revelation, needed it, and we're going to need it. We need it today. We just don't know we do. You know the whole Jeffrey, is it Jeffrey Epstein? Is that his name? I know it's so dominated the news. This was a high-profile sex trafficker who was a millionaire, maybe a billionaire, and he got arrested. He was already arrested back in 2008. 36 counts of sex trafficking, some with minors as, as young as 14. And they caught him again in 2019, and he was in jail. He was about to go on trial. And you know the story, right? Sorry if this is a little graphic for some people. I, I, I can't pass the opportunity to use something current in the news that we're all seeing anyway to point out a truth here. Supposedly, uh, apparently, he killed himself in prison for whatever, you know, some people are blaming the prison guards. Some people say it's a conspiracy. I don't know. And nobody else does either. Well, if it is a conspiracy. Anyway, listen. The point is this, the point is this, here's what people are saying, they're outraged because his victims did not get the justice they longed for. Opportunity missed, right? Now justice will never be served. Wrong. Wrong. Justice will be served by the one who is truly just and will not take a bribe, doesn't have unbalanced scales. I'm telling you guys. This doctrine ought to encourage you because forget the Jeffrey Epstein thing, all around us we see injustice, everywhere. And it's not going to get fixed before Christ returns. It's not. We should work towards it. Definitely you should work towards it. And so many people that are, they're disenfranchised and they're hopeless because they're not securing their work toward this. There is injustice all around us. Everything's broken. Relationships are broken. My body's broken. You know, I was laying on my bed last night on my stomach with my laptop on, uh, on a table beside me. And I was working just for an hour and a half. And I got off the bed. And I'm, only, I'm I shouldn't say only 44. I guess that's kind of old. I don't know. I'm 44 years old. And I, and I rolled off the bed. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Seriously, I thought I needed a chiropractor. I don't know what's going on. But listen, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, I'm going to get the body I always wanted when this, when this goes down. And you are too if your hope's in Christ. 
It's not, a, it's not a dirty teddy bear at a county fair. It's not a consolation prize. All things are going to be restored. My body, my relationships, true justice is going to reign. Man, this makes me want to do a backflip that I can't. I'm 44. This is good news, guys. I'm telling you, wrap your mind around this, think on it, and let it change the way you live. We should be yearning for this. We should be longing for this. Your redemption draws near. Your redemption, you're going to be set free. And not only from the things around you that so bother you, but listen, here's the bigger thing. What did Paul say in Romans? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he didn't mean the 44-year-old thing, okay? He meant he sees things within him that burden him and trouble him. He does things he knows he shouldn't do, the things he ought to do. He doesn't find the strength sometimes. Anybody with him? Anybody find that? You're battling the world, you're battling the devil, and you're battling the flesh, and you're tired. You want this battle to end. It will. It will. Soon. It'll end soon. Think about these things. That should energize you and fuel your, your fight. Because it is. Being a Christian's hard. And I know we quote, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's true. But there is a yoke and there is a burden. <laughs> It's a better one than what the world's alternative is. Trust me. I mean, we've all been there, right? I got saved when I was 22. I cannot tell you, I already feel set free in so many ways. The sun will set you free. You're free indeed. But this is like true, physical, complete um, liberation. What we're reading about here. It's the end of poverty. It's the end of injustice. It's the end of war. It's the end of disease. One person wrote this, because I, I have, and I'm not wagging my finger at you, I promise. You guys are amazing, and I love you. But maybe some of us think this way. Maybe we just get too comfortable with the brokenness around us. And we just have a settled indifference. Like, oh, things are terrible. But I, that's just the way things are. That's not good. One person wrote this. He said, if your own life is too comfortable to want the second coming of Jesus, you must look across the world to lives that aren't. Now look, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We've all had the person that's gone overseas on a mission trip. I'm just, I'm just being straight up real with you, okay? I want to, we can be real in here. I've had people that have gone overseas on mission trips, and they come back and they start lecturing me about having an air conditioner and a car, and I'm like, wait, time out, bro. <laughs> You tell me, um, because people in other parts of the world have it harder than me, I should have like this guilt, this comfort guilt. I ain't buying it. I'm sorry. Air conditioning is a blessing. A car is a blessing. And I thank God for them, and I'm not willing to relinquish them. Now, it's, it's you know, I don't, <laughs> I know you can take that too far and start getting way too comfortable. That's not what this person's writing about. Just hold on here. He says, you must look across, if you're too comfortable to want the second coming of Jesus, you must look across the world to lives that aren't. It's natural to hope for yourselves, and how healthy is it to do so, but it is unnatural to hope only for yourself, and how parochial it is to do so. Be on guard, says Jesus, against the fatal absorption with yourself. Take care, stay alert, stand up, and raise your heads because the kingdom is coming. Jesus Christ's words are an antidote to our sloth, an antidote to our worldly cynicism. Jesus' words are meant to raise our heads and raise our hopes for justice. I think what he's saying is this. Go over to the third world country and ask them how important and how exciting is the return of Christ. Probably a lot more exciting than it is to a lot of us in the West. 
It's not because I want you to feel comfort guilt. It's because we are, are so settled sometimes with just the brokenness that we live in. We forget to long for Christ's return to be set free from all these shackles and burdens. There's a, a movie, I can't recommend it to you. I saw it a long time ago, but there was a really uh, powerful part in the end. And it's not Lord of the Rings, okay? Because I could commend that to you. This is a, a retelling of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Just kind of got some violent stuff in it, you know, war and all that. But at the very end, uh, King Arthur has been kind of dethroned. He's been banished because of sin in his heart. He's not on the throne, and because of that, the whole world is like withering. I mean, literally, there's like plants that are dying, relationships are broken, people are getting sick, the land is sick. It's really interesting. I don't know who wrote that. I don't know who wrote King Arthur, The Sword of the Stone, however it's retold. But man, you know, every story has echoes of the Bible in it. When the king is not on his throne, the whole land is sick and weak and, and decaying. But at the very end, the king is restored. And he's given Excalibur, his sword. And he's on this white stallion, and he's got shining armor on, and he's riding back. He's riding back to the palace to be enthroned again and crowned king. And it's just really, this is an old movie. It's not black and white, not that old. But there's a really powerful part that shows, I don't know how they did the cinematography. When he's riding back to the palace, like all these dead things around him are coming back to life. Dead thorn bushes are blossoming into these bright, beautiful red roses. People who are old and sick, uh, they're standing up erect and their skin is smooth and their eyes are bright. It's just really interesting. I don't, as a kid, I saw that and now I'm looking back as a Christian thinking, man, that's it. Now we ought to long for the, the true king is coming back and with him, he's going to fix everything. Every injustice is going to be taken care of. Because the true judge is coming, the king and the judge. We should long for that. We should yearn for that. We should, we should expect that. We're going to finally live in joy and harmony. And I know, that that's a, I know that that's a grim reality for unbelievers. You know what's interesting? I read this, and, and I, don't, I don't want to... Uh, I want to be so careful the way I say this because we are a church and, and our motto is we are the insiders for the outsiders. And there's probably not a person in this room who doesn't have somebody close to you, a loved one, a family member, a son, a parent, a sibling, an uncle, an aunt, a best friend who is living in an open, hostile rebellion against Christ. They've heard the gospel and they've rejected it. And this is sad to think about. What if Christ returns and they're living in their unbelief? So I know... I know this is hard, but I want this to fuel you. Remember, live on mission. Share with them the good news, the hope of Christ, forgiving and setting them free. But the point I want to make is this. When we look around us, sometimes we see things like Jeffrey Epstein and sex trafficking and abuse and molestation and all kinds of terrible things that happen. And this verse comes to my mind. Listen to this. By the way, this is John's account of what we just read in Mark's gospel. Behold... That means, hey, sit up, pay attention, and listen to this. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Okay, now we're talking about people that were part of the death of Jesus, the executors. And all the tribes of the earth will wail. That word is like moan. And what? In dread. They will cower in fear and in terror on account of him. 
And what's this say right there, guys? This is hard. This is one of the hardest truths in the Bible. But I want this to sink deep into us this morning. Even so, amen. Amen. And it makes me want to cry saying it. Because there will come a time when there's no longer any more evangelism that's going to take place. And that word simply means sharing the good news of Jesus with people that need to be forgiven. It's time's up. Time's up. You were offered forgiveness. You were offered freedom. You were offered hope. This king who laid aside his lofty throne of glory and crown and came down and crawled inside a human body and lived a life for you, a perfect life, and died the death you deserve, and you've trampled on his blood. You have rejected him outright, dismissed his offer of salvation out of hand, and his judgment has come. And even so, amen. That's hard, isn't it? But I know deep down within all of us, we see the injustices and we need this truth. We need to know that God is coming and he's going to fix everything. And he's going to judge unbelief and vindicate his righteousness and collect his people, gather them together. And we ought to say amen too. With tears in our eyes, we ought to say amen. May it be so. Okay, point one was a long one. This is a real short one. Point two, confidence. Verse 28, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Do you hear that? That is confidence. Jesus is staking his life on this prophecy. It's not, it's not a get. Jesus is not Nostradamus, okay? He's not some kind of Wall Street mogul that's saying the stock market's going to do this and that. Jesus is saying, listen, I am the way, I am the truth personified and embodied. And I'm telling you, this is the way that history is going to end. You can stake your life on it. Everything else I've told you has happened exactly the way I said it would, including in two days' time, I'm going to be betrayed, handed over to the Gentiles and to the Jews, and they're going to crucify me on a cross, and three days from then, I'm going to rise from the grave. And everything else is going to happen exactly the way I said it would. It's really interesting. I've read apologetics books tracing the literal fulfillment of every prophecy that predicted Jesus' first coming. In Bethlehem, um, a manger, I mean, I wish I, I didn't write any of this down. I should have known I was going to talk about a little bit of it. But there's 70-something prophecies that to the letter, and, and, and some people have traced out hundreds that happened exactly the way the prophets in the Old Testament said it would. So if that was the case with the second coming, what should that tell us? If that was the case with the first coming, when Jesus was born, what should that tell us about what we can expect with the second coming? These things are going to be fulfilled. This is going to happen. It's the way history is going to culminate. And are you ready? And I have, um, this is what James Edwards said. He said, for Jesus to assert that his words will outlive heaven and earth is a remarkable claim of authority. The only being who could reasonably make such a claim is God. <laughs> that good? This is just another, if you're looking for proof that Jesus is God, look at that. I mean, what, what did he say there? 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words. He doesn't say the words of God. He could have, and it would have been just as true. He says, my words, my words. In another part of the Bible, Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me. He's the judge, Jesus. He's the one that's going to accomplish this. He's the one that's making this happen. When it says you will see the Son of Man earlier in that chapter, the first part of that chapter, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. I mean, that must have been so strange for the disciples to hear this man who has been chased and persecuted and is about to die in weakness and obscurity say, hey, look, guys, Son of Man, going to come back, clouds of glory, great power. Every eye will see him. The tribes of the earth will wail and mourn, and everything's going to be put right. You can bank on it. You can stake your life on it. That's the way it's going to happen. That's the lesson here. And you know, guys, I have, I have a third point that's so applicable for our church, for Grace Life Church. Um, but I don't want to shortchange it. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to kind of call an audible. I'm going to stop there for today. Some of you are like, whew, praise the Lord, sermon's over. <laughs> I'm going to stop there for today because there's plenty to think about. There's plenty to digest. Again, I will tell you this. Second coming doctrine of Christ 300 times in the New Testament, every major creed, confession, and catechism. So you cannot live a recognizably Christian life without thinking about this and letting it change the way you live and the way you view things around you, the way you view your own heart, the way you view your mission. And that's what I really want to talk about next, I guess next week, we will talk about the third point, that last section where Jesus says, stay awake, be alert, watch for it. You've got work to do. You've got to be on mission. I don't want to shortchange that and leave out some of these things. So we're going to stop there for today and we're going to pray and ask God to really let these truths settle deep into our hearts. The return of the king, the true king, he's coming. Every eye will see him, even those that pierced him. Whose side are you on? Do these things excite you? Are you yearning for this? Are you longing for this? I don't know if you grew up the way I grew up, and I don't know why. I'm sure it's my fault. I'm sure it's not the fault of the people that were teaching. It's just my little eight-year-old, 10-year-old brain. This always petrified me. Even when I wanted to believe in Jesus and wanted to follow Jesus, I was just petrified of this. And I thought, maybe it was the way it was talked about, I, I, I thought maybe this would capture it. Jesus is coming back quick, everyone. Look busy. Grab a Bible. Act like you're praying. That was the way it hit me. And I think that's the wrong way that Jesus really wants this doctrine to hit us. I think this should excite us and bring great. If you are in Christ, man, what a tremendous thing this is going to be. Don't cower in fear. Hold your head up high. Your redemption, you're setting, you're, you're getting released, getting set free, is coming. I hope that you can long for that day. The only way that day is possible and can be good news is because of what Jesus experienced. All these things are just a picture of God's wrath falling on humanity, right? And that's exactly what Jesus Christ took on your behalf and my behalf. He absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve. That's the gospel, friends. That's what the cross signifies. We deserve that. He's our substitute. Jesus traded places with sinners. Man, what a sweet deal is that? Isn't that a sweet deal? <laughs> I just wish somebody would trade places with me and would give me their perfect record and would take my punishment for me. And they did. Jesus did that for us. Hallelujah, what a Savior.
Are you yearning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that these truths would settle deep into our hearts. We would think on them. It would truly be the blessed hope. This would purify us as 1 John talks about. This would help us to stay alert and stay watchful and not be discouraged and depressed when things happen and we know shady deals are going down and people are being bribed in high places or there's injustice and poverty and war and famine and disease and brokenness and we're struggling to fight against sin and we feel like so often we are disappointing you and we're losing the battle. Lord, may these things excite us. You are coming. And may we be found in Christ, not having a righteousness that is on our, that is our own, from our own work, our own sweat, our own labor. labor. Lord, this is, we are to be found in your righteousness. And that is truly good news. May it excite us this morning, God. And if there's anybody here that doesn't have this hope, pray your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin, their need for salvation. May they just simply cry out to you for forgiveness, turn from their sins, confess they're a sinner, Believe the gospel, believe the good news. You died for them. You lived a perfect life for them. You want to trade places. You want to redeem them, Lord. You are not willing that anybody should perish, Lord, but that all should come to eternal life. May that be the case today in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.